0: church and other drugs to
1: Welcome. Good to be here, Jed. I say welcome. I'll say it too. We're uh we're sitting in the same room, which makes
0: it a lot weirder. <laughs> yeah, <it does>. <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're we're huddled next to each other. Uh it makes it a lot weirder, I'm not it gonna does, lie. Yeah we're
1: very close right we're
0: now. Very Honestly, close uncomfortably close right yeah. now. like like listen. I just hit him. <laughs>
1: uh, Debesh is in town to... What are you in here for? I'm um, getting my six-year chip over here. Just visiting friends and family. My folks live in New Orleans. So I came up for a couple of days to say what's up. That's what's up, dude. Six years. Um.
0: Oh, before we get going too far, we got another Patreon. Christopher Stepleton. Chris? Steepleton. Thanks, dude. Uh get with Jags, I need your address to send you a t-shirt. Yeah. And other people, if you want a t-shirt, sign up for the $25 Patreon. Otherwise, we're we're getting more shirts soon. You might hear my ferrets in the background. Uh but you can just deal with it. One of them just bit me really hard. It was funny. <laughs> um So I just got back from vacation, man. We uh we're flying on the plane, right? And there was this dude, uh... He had really bad body odor. He was older. Oh, no. Right next to you? No, 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 no. But we, we like, fought, like... He was ahead of us in the security line, and then mm-hmm. the check-in, and then, uh... Watched him sit down, and then he was mm-hmm. sitting... He was just, like... He looked like a walking cartoon character, is what Kaylee said, mm-hmm. and, like... I don't know if he was, like, slightly mental or what, but, uh... He was just a weird dude, and then he sat down, and he put on his headphones, and he turned on a movie, but he didn't realize that, like, his headphones weren't plugged in, (laughs) and so the movie was just playing super (laughs) loud. For how long? Like, the entire time? A good six minutes, (laughs) and then the stewardess walked up and goes, sir... It's not plugged in. And he, and he took off
1: his headphones and goes, what? <laughs> and just, like, sir, it's not plugged in. He must have problems with this. I mean, because if he can't smell himself and he can't hear his headphones, I there guess must something's going on. And then at the end of the flight, we, we landed. And
0: uh, everyone was making their calls. Like, hey, we landed. And uh, he, I don't think, maybe he just doesn't know how cell phones work. But he put it on speakerphone and then put it to his ear. <laughs> So, he's talking to someone, but everyone can hear his conversation. And then the dude ends the conversation by going, Okay, well, talk to you later. Meow. And and then the person on the phone goes, Meow. No. I'm not even fucking lying. No. I don't know what that's about, dude. He's one of those, like,
1: what do you call it? Fluffies? Fluffies? Furries? Furries. 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 Could
0: be, dude. Oh, my God. Some weird shit. That's really weird. Weird shit. Um, so we do, I wanted to give a, not a shout out, but we had two two deaths, um, two overdoses. One uh, Andrew, hippie Andrew from, he was a dopey listener and uh, Dave told me that uh, he was a church and other drugs listener mm. as well. Um, he overdosed and died, and then right. our good buddy Bo uh, overdosed and died this week too. So, mm.
1: that's always rough. Yeah, it's been a sad week. I yeah, I, I saw recently that it's been so bad, particularly this year with heroin overdoses, that it by itself has dropped average uh, life expectancy in the U.S. by at least a year. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's. That's true? I'm pretty sure. I could fact check it, but I'm pretty sure. Dude, that's gnarly. That's very, very... That's really bad. Yeah.
0: What what kind of pissed me off, too... Well, this didn't piss me off, but it was just very... Uh, non-self-aware. What is the word I'm looking for? Ignorant or just stupid or I don't know, but before our... Um, softball game cuz he played softball with us mm. and uh I know you've heard me talk about that but before our softball game one of our other players who was still using mm. was high and he was like we need to let's have a prayer for him and mm. so like this dude's just fucking high the whole time and then having a prayer it's just uh, like dude do you not no, understand just, let, that yeah. like you you're, you're next. next right like right. It,
1: do you really not get that right right and i really don't think he does no no so like what are you supposed to do
0: there <sighs> It's just like, right, you know what I'm talking right. about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I mean, like, and it's like, what are we? What am I gonna? What am I gonna?
1: Was, was what he... am I
0: gonna think when it does happen?
1: Right. Am I gonna be? Well, there's nothing. It's like, I can't stop him. I can't right. force him to stop. Right. I mean, I think. I mean, for some people, I think at the end of the day is like, you know, if this does happen, will I regret um, not saying something? But I'm pretty sure at this point what many people were close to, we've all said many things, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that a lot of it comes down to that. I mean, I don't know. Ugh,
0: yeah, that's shitty. I don't know, Mm. so, if anybody is, Mm. I don't know, I never know, yeah, I'm still processing, like, Mm -hmm. it's very, uh, it's common. Like, I think I was saying, no other, maybe medics, like, if you're excluding... Doctors and medics. I'm trying to think of a prof- not a profession, but a
1: lifestyle that has as many deaths. Right. I can't. Believe. I can't think of yeah. one. I mean, that's like, I heard someone say they so that you know when, you, like sobriety is awesome. You meet you know it's everything. You know, things are really awesome in recovery and sobriety. But, you know, the thing that sucks is you're you are going to meet a lot of people and get to know a lot of people that. Are going to die, you know. Yeah, you're going to be friends with a lot of people. They're going to die. they are going to die, and, and learning just how to navigate that, and how to show up for family, and how to show up for yourself. You know, it's it's a, it's a hard deal. It's a hard so, deal. So, so with that, everybody be cool. This mm-hmm. this will come out on New Year's
0: Day, so it'll be the day after. But like, don't drink and drive. Call mm-hmm. an Uber. Mm-hmm. Chill out. All right. Don't shoot dope. Please. Shoot fireworks, not heroin. Man, that's my, that's my tagline. This is um,
1: Cnods message. Cnods for today. message. Shoot fireworks. I'm
0: gonna yeah. I'm gonna make a PSA about that. Nice. Uh, yeah. So this is a good interview. It's Dr. Michael Heiser, and this is the one where my, I'll go ahead and correct it. Uh, I say I misquoted Peter Inns when it was Peter Rollins. So I'm gonna say Pete Ends, but it was Peter. Rollins so save your hate mail for somebody that gives a damn all right send it to Trump uh, yeah. I don't know whoever I say don't send it to me okay? yeah I was gonna say the best but <laughs> once again he's sitting right next to me so I can't pass it off like that Thanks for being with us tonight michael
2: yeah thanks for inviting
0: me. do you go by mike or michael mike okay mike we'll leave formality aside uh where you I,
2: I used to i used to tell my students that uh they they had two choices one was to call me mike or your holiness so <laughs> mike usually won <laughs> where did
0: where did you where do you teach out of
2: well, I I just do distance ed now, but I taught in the classroom a lot, you know, for a lot of years, and I'm not a I'm not real big on formality. Right.
0: Um. Well, yeah, I've only got you for uh for an hour here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get moving. I've uh, so I came. I was telling um Brian I became sort of a amateur historian on like Nephilim and um the books of Enoch and uh. So your book came up fairly quickly um, in my journey into that. Uh, so it's really cool to get the chance to talk to you. Um, the first thing, I, I've i been having an argument online lately with people over... No. Online? I, I, let me, Arguments first of online? All, first of all, <laughs> it's a rarity. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> See, it's when two people disagree <laughs> um, over Satan. And okay. the debate whether uh, – the newest one I've heard is uh, – I think it's Peter Ends suggesting that it's just like a metaphor for your ego or something. And so the debate being whether Satan is a, a literal being. Um, and I really liked uh, – how you put it a couple times in your book but I guess if you have any thoughts on Satan as a literal being
2: well uh, you've read unseen realm yes okay yeah well I, I think I mean I'm I don't know what what Pete is saying but if 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 Pete is saying that, uh, I mean, certainly it would be nonsense to say that the, that the biblical writers thought Satan was a metaphor or some kind of impersonal being or whatever. I, that That's just demonstrably false. Um, he's probably thinking of, you know, how how he wants to think about it now or what he's recommending, you know, people to think about it or something like that you know if you're going to if you're going to attach your your view of the supernatural realm to the biblical text if you actually care about that then you you can't be talking about satan as some sort of metaphor or impersonal force i mean on on what basis would you talk about any divine being you know as being a you know a person as opposed to a metaphor i mean why not why don't we just say that that none of this has any attachment to reality and we're all talking about metaphors you know it right i, I you know, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And uh, again, I, I think if if you're a theist, and Pete certainly is, then I, I would hope that Pete would see the illogic of that rabbit trail. Because basically, all of your arguments for theism can and and should be equally applied, you know, to any member of of the spiritual world. Because otherwise, you 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 have you know you're you're either a deist or you're you're I don't I don't know what word would fit, you know. Um, Pete's not a Unitarian or anything like that, but basically you have a you have a world, a supernatural world where only one being exists, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because right. on what basis are you denying that, that that being that you call God? And you're you're going to again Pete's certainly going to attach God to the biblical text. On what basis are you denying God his abilities? Okay, to create other spiritual beings. There, there's just no coherent reason to go there. Other than wanting to sound cool, I guess, or enlightened.
0: Well, and then, well, I went, well, it was then I realized, not then, but recently I realized um, that what the Bible does say about him is varied and and very little. So it, it appears to be talking about almost different beings and then you know i'd all, i always grew up assuming that the uh, verse about the king of tyre was about lucifer satan mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i've recently learned that that is not the case um
2: well i've you know it's not a the, the passage is not about satan but again my view is that it that passage in isaiah 14 and genesis 3 draws on the On on the tail of a primeval divine rebel. So that's why I think they're related, but they're not, you know, nobody, Ezekiel didn't, you know, preach or write, you know, Ezekiel 28 thinking about, well, I'm going to talk about Satan here and disguise it as this king of Tyre guy. I think it it actually works in reverse, but anyway, I don't want to interrupt you.
0: Oh, no. Well, basically, um, just trying to get some clues into that, and I've always also wondered, what if anything did Satan have to do with the original Watcher angels that fell?
2: Yeah, the, the the problem is really vocabulary. Like on one on one hand, you know, you said that the Bible doesn't talk much about Satan. Well, it depends where in the Bible you are. You know, it, it you know for for sure, Jesus wasn't confronted by a metaphor in the desert. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> you know, uh, so you, you've got a, a real clear passage there. You've got a number of things said about Satan, you know, in, in the epistles and whatnot. And of course the apocalyptic literature, but the, the, the real difficulty is terminology because we're taught in church, you know, about, you know, Satan in Genesis three or Satan in other passages and whatnot. And Satan as a, you know God's archenemy in the Old Testament in Job one and two and whatnot, and those are where the real disconnections are because that talk that we're given in church a lot is a is a dramatic oversimplification and in some cases misleading conversation because it's based on English Bible and and to some extent church tradition. You know, church tradition sprinkles ideas in here that have no basis at all in the biblical text. You know, primeval rebellion of Satan and his angels before, you know, Adam and Eve were created. Well, there's there's no passage in the Bible that says that. You know, the, the closest you get to it is Revelation 12. And again, that's either the last book of the Bible written or one of the last ones written, depending on where you date it. So... It, and if in Revelation 12 isn't about the primeval rebellion the, the third of the angels' language, it's the only verse. It's the only passage where you get one third and angels in the same you know sentence is about the birth of the Messiah. Well, again, that's a little bit after you know, the creation. Yeah. So I mean you, you have these really significant disconnects and what I try to do in unseen realm is unpack that a little bit. it, it if we think about it this way, you know, does God, you know, have sort of an original rebel, an original adversary, an original problem? Okay. Well, the answer to that is certainly yes in the biblical story. You know, you, you have an opponent or someone, you know, some divine being who decides he doesn't like the way things are going and wants to interfere with what God is doing. Okay. That, that, that is patently obvious. Then the second question is, well, what do we call that that guy? Okay. What 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 is he called? He's actually never called Satan in Genesis three. The word never occurs in Genesis three. You never get the serpent, the Nakash, which is the term used in Genesis three. That is never linked in an Old Testament verse with the word Satan, Satan, at all in the Old Testament. It never happens. It only happens in intertestamental literature, what I you know, what scholars call the Second Temple period. And, of course, the New Testament. The New Testament makes that equation very explicit. So people look at that and say, well, there was no Satan in the Old Testament. Well, okay, there's no instance. And Job 1 and 2 isn't an instance either because, again, without boring your audience too much, uh, Satan in Job 1 and 2 has the definite article attached to it in Hebrew. And you say, big deal. Well, the definite article is the word the so Hebrew is like English. It doesn't tolerate a definite article before a proper personal name. I am not the Mike. <laughs> okay. My wife is not the Drina. Pete Ends is not the Pete. All right. We, we, that's just not the way the language works. I always say Donald Trump's the exception here. He's right. the Donald. But, um, but <laughs> again, you don't have, in Job 1 and 2, you have Hasatan, the Satan. It is not a proper personal name. It just means the adversary, again, the opposer something like that. So you don't have any place in the Old Testament where you have Satan used as a proper personal noun. And people look at that and say, oh, you know, well, we don't have Satan in the Old Testament. There's no doctrine of Satan in the Old Testament. Well, there's no, there's no vocabulary for that. But there certainly is the idea of a supernatural being who decided to rebel against God and was punished for it. That's what Genesis 3 is about in part. It's what Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, they draw on that story. And I think that story has wider ancient Near Eastern and and Canaanite uh, roots to it. The idea of a divine rebel in the divine council, that's all it is. Um, You know, in the case of Genesis 3, it's connected to the seduction, the deception uh, of human beings so that they lose immortality. Um, You know, that... All those all those doctrinal ideas are certainly in the Old Testament. It's just the vocabulary that Christians typically use is not in the Old Testament. It it has to it, it accrues over time. In the Old Testament, this enemy is the serpent, the Nakash. Can also be translated the the one who dispenses divine knowledge or the shining one. Okay. You know, there there's there's somebody there. There's there's an original rebel, and that's followed by two other rebellions: the one in Genesis six one through four, and the one associated with the gods who are assigned to the nations at the Tower of Babel that go astray. So you you have a you have a spiritual mess. By the end of the Old Testament period, you've got more than one enemy. You've got a few. You got groups that are all in an adversarial relationship to the God of Israel, to the God of the Bible. So you. You know, you, you you have these ideas. They're they're certainly there. But if the question is 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 there a doctrine of Satan like my pastor or or minister just laid out and used verses like you know, Job one six, you know, and Job two one to, to to articulate that. Is that is that there in the old testament? Well, the answer to that would be no, but that doesn't mean that the doctrinal ideas are not there, they are there. So the it's a real terminology problem satan as a word eventually gets applied to the original rebel that happens in the intertestamental period so and if the shoe like fits
0: retroactive
2: yeah it, it it it's just okay well hey i mean again i don't want to be silly here but you know you have ju- some jewish thinker in the intertestamental period you know comes along one day sits down to, to write something and he thinks to himself Ah, Satan, the adversary. You know that that's a good word for that that serpent guy back in Genesis three. Well, mm. I'm going to call him that, because that's what he did. He opposed God, and then somebody that down the line reads what this guy, the first guy, writes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. I'm going to use that too. I'm going to use that in my sermon in the synagogue. You know, I mean, it, it, it's an idea that develops. It it it. Somebody made a decision at some point to expand the semantic web. Okay, the list of terms that you could use to describe the rebel of Genesis 3. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Satan is one of those terms that eventually gets used to describe this being. And again, if the semantic shoe fits, let him wear it because he was an adversary. Now, the devil, as, as we think of it, uh, the Genesis 3 guy, is not what's going on in Job 1 and 2. Okay, so there's a fundamental disconnect there, but the, the theological ideas are certainly in the Old Testament. It's just we have a real problem, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot in angelology and demonology that floats around churches, that floats around in Christians' heads, that has a very loose attachment, or in some cases no attachment at all, to what the Bible actually describes, it's just we get that stuff put in our heads not in a not in a sinister way it's not people are trying to lie to us but you know church leadership often teaches what they've been taught it, and, and a lot of this is just mediated or filtered through uh, church tradition you know and that's how we sort of wind up with it but I think it's an overreaction to just say, "Well, these ideas are just nowhere in the old." Ulti- well, actually, they are. It's just, you know, you you have to talk about them a different way to discern where the elements of consistency are.
0: Well, and these are these are big ideas that I could, I'll only speak from my personal experience. That like I, I believe strongly, and I would say in some regards, lived my life based on like these ideas about, about this devil and Satan. So, why the mystery? Why would it, like, it, in my mind, it either means that we're not supposed to focus on it too much, or like it seems like God would be like, hey, there was this angel whose name was this, who did this. You should probably know about it because he's going to be after you in the yeah
2: well there's there's the there's the normal person response, and then there's the elitist response. which one do you want? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me the elite The elitist response would be, well, that's your fault. you should be learning Hebrew yeah. <laughs> and and reading the Bible closely in the original languages That's true okay it's also the it's unrealistic all right the the normal person response is that look. You know, the information is there, you know, again, in a really close reading of the text, maybe with an interlinear or something. But, you know, the average person shouldn't have to do all the legwork there. This should be the responsibility of people who are in spiritual leadership. They are the the small subset that should be competent and then give the information Hmm. to the people under their care. That that often isn't what happens, and there there are some innocent reasons why it doesn't happen, and there are some you know less than innocent or you know sort of dumb reasons why it, it doesn't happen. You know we we just have a serious problem I, I, you know, across the board in some really fundamental things, and, and I, I you know I always hesitate when I get into conversations like this because I don't I don't want to create the impression that um, you know, that, that the church is just filled with people who don't know a whole lot and, and the people who train them aren't doing their job. Um, there's some of that, for sure, That 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 is a problem. But, you know, part of it, I think, has to be laid on, at, at the feet of the congregation, too, because, you know, it's just like, let's just say professional sports, there are some teams in baseball or football that just tend to play down to their competition. You know, they, they, they only play as good as they, they sort of think they have to because they, they think the opponent is lesser and -hmm. then they wind up getting bitten in the butt, you know, and losing games that they shouldn't and and stuff like that. Well, I, I, I'm a believer in if, if congregations don't make it clear that they want content and push their leadership to give it to them, they're going to get the gruel and the schlocky stuff that they get. And and we have too many churches filled with too many people who honestly just want to be entertained. Yeah. You know, and they're not asking for content. They're not pushing their leadership to go out and become more competent. And because that's the case, you know, the, the, the people who train them aren't being pushed to make sure we're not going to graduate you unless you have a certain level of competence, you know, and they don't do that in part because they've decided to set up their little Bible college or their seminary and they're, they're entirely tuition driven. They have to let anybody and his brother in there because they need the tuition dollars and they can't make it too hard because then they're going to flunk out and they won't get more students. This is a vicious circle and it's a vicious right. cycle. So we, we've got some real systemic problems here. And on, on the one hand, I just had a conversation yesterday with a, a pastor from from Texas. We were talking about millennials, <laughs> and it's like there's so much potential here, because millennials are very impatient with authority figures, and and they they want they want information. Now the problem is, they'll take it too far and and won't have they won't they'll resist any, um, appeal to authority. Okay. That, that's an overreaction on their part. and their, on their part. And then they'll, they'll think that because they have Google and YouTube that everybody's an expert. Yes. So yeah, it's like mille- the millennial generation is like, there, there's so much potential here to, to change things, but the things that, that they could use to make positive change might kill them before they get there. yeah (laughs) right it's like it's like a taking a medicine that if you don't take the right amount it's going to kill you before it cures you you know and and so that's how i kind of look at at this generation but we need people to insist that our leadership just does better and and there there's some plenty of blame to go around here and 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 i i think the internet's wonderful for this because on, on the one hand you know, like, like just myself, I mean, I like to put content out on the internet. I wish it, I wish I could control it. I wish I could, could sort of target it and and harness it and direct it and, but you can't do that. So you just hope that people find stuff and, and you, you try to do what you can do. And most of the time I feel like I'm just doing stuff by the seat of my pants. And to be honest with you, I am, you know, that's just kind of what it is. I think. But, you know, I'm just I'm one of these people that it's like, if you've listened to me and anybody who's listening to this, who has listened to me, I love finding people who just do things that need to be done and they get off their butts and do them. Hmm. They don't ask permission. It doesn't go through committee. They just do it. And and there's that streak in me that I'm just going to throw stuff out there and and it'll hopefully it'll help and not harm it, it. It'll Some, you know, some good will come out of it. I just think we need to do that. I think scholars need to do that. Uh, again, I, I have no faith in the institutions. I have no faith that seminaries are just going to change the what they produce, what they insist on, because it's a consumer-oriented market. They have created this beast, and it's going to devour them. So I, I don't have any, any faith in the institutions. I think change is going to have to happen from within, and it's going to happen from within the congregations who just insist on being taught yeah. th- th- and hold people accountable and 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 do it and and put out as much good information as you can. I, I don't even know how we got there, but that's just kind of a long <laughs> riffing rabbit no, that, that, trail.
0: That's good. It's true. It will, and especially on this subject in particular, the supernatural, like, and millennials, like, no one's really trying to hear that at all. Science is, is the, uh, the main gorilla in the room right now. And if it's not science, then what, 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 what I find funny to no end is that like angels and demons, ridiculous, but I'm going to go consult my crystals and astrology. (laughs) Like I just, that is the funniest disconnect in the world to me that, but you know, Hey, it's just a pendulum swing. So I get it, but
2: yeah, it, it, well, what it, what it shows is, is a deep yearning right, for something bigger than the, than the material world, something bigger than ourselves, uh, a, a deep hunger for mystery, but yet a resistance to accountability.
0: Right. You and know,
2: it that's <laughs> where people are at.
0: And especially there's a, there's a, you know, I got caught up in it too. The, resurgence of the psychedelic movement especially and people actually getting in contact with with spirits and spiritualists and so they're it's they're getting their needs met uh falsely in other places and i I see a i could definitely see like a, a split coming like that we're in the midst of but why do you think even in i would say even in church like we'll call it mainstream church circles you know you're never going to hear about the history of satan on a sunday morning like the the supernatural is seriously downplayed and i had um i was talking to somebody who who just believes that in our day and age if if uh spiritual attuneness was a muscle that it's just been atrophied and so like we have to actively try to Uh, see things in the spiritual light like is that your experience or do you
2: well you know for some people the antidote is like you said psychedelics or some something that is mind-altering and and then they'll because of their experience they're, they're they're soliciting an experience through that means they will convince themselves that that now they've sort of touched some greater consciousness that lies outside the material world you know all the while sort of not wanting to realize that everything is there is happening in your head and you mm. caused it. <laughs> right. You know, but, but it, again, it, it, it reflects a, a real deep yearning for other people. It's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, to, to church and work myself in a frenzy by, you know, saying endless mantras and jumping around and, and hoping to have some experience there. You know, I'm, I'm going to, or I'm going to go gravitate toward a person who who purports to be able to give me this experience. Mm-hmm. So people are looking for experiences, you know, and I, I'm not one. Again, I, again, this this just plays off a conversation I had last night. the The problem is, is we have people who are totally ab- abhorred or ab- ab- appalled, is a better word, uh, by like the spiritual gifts and charismatic stuff because you know they've seen so much abuse I- in it. Yeah. And then you have the other side that that everything that comes down the pike must be of the spirit. You know, so you know, yeah. it's it's like we've given God two different strait jackets to wear, you know. <laughs> and it, it I think it's just much better to you know, look, we, we can't deny God can can do, you know, what he wants. If God wants to intrude in somebody's life and do something really dramatic and miraculous, he's perfectly capable of doing that. And there's no biblical reason that he can't, you know, not, you know, and he expects us to evaluate any experience by scripture. He gave us one and he can give us the other. And they're both going to be consistent if they're both from the same source. You know, God expects that. He's he's not, you know, going to do something to somebody and, and hope that, oh, I hope they don't read that passage over in the <laughs> epistles because you know? then they'll doubt this. No, and again, that's absurd. You know so so God can do what He wants, but I think we also need to trust God. We also need to, instead of being, you know, the generation that seeks after a sign or an experience, we be open to, to God doing that. But then we live intentionally, expecting God to either direct us through other believers, or again, an unseen hand of providence or, you know, the, the Hebrews chapter one, and you know, angels that are here to assist, you know, people and you never know that they're there. I mean, just be open to these sorts of things and live intentionally and, and believe mm-hmm. that God will do these things if he, if he deems it the best thing to do. You know, well, it, it's, it's openness and it's intentionality and, and, you know, being, you know, discipling ourselves and others in, in, in the same, you know, From the same, you know, sort of mindset, and being open to the supernatural, but not trying to do something so so badly, or 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 seek something, you know, so extremely that we end up manufacturing it, you know, having a poor substitute for it ourselves.
0: Well, that's that's good for me to hear because I've realized, um, I've been sober about. over three years now, and um, so I lived a, a vast portion of my life living for sensuality and, and very visceral experiences, and so uh, God has definitely given me a few um, in sobriety, but I've found this, especially like this last year and a half or so, It's it, it's been seriously rained back, and I kind of realized that Am I really like chasing? Am I chasing the 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 experience? Am I looking for like a spiritual high? Is that really like? And am I am I worshiping that above what I'm really supposed to be doing? So hearing hearing you said that's that's something I, I needed to hear. To... Well, even
2: in even in quote unquote normal boring churches, people are taught this in, in sort of a again not a sinister way but kind of an unconscious way, a subconscious way. When we teach people that that the purpose of Bible study is to get a spiritual buzz. Uh, Well, you know, that that we're just conditioning people, you know, to, to, to seek out, you know, some sort of experience or, or aha moment or enlightenment as though, as though just learning something about the Bible or about the Lord or about, Hey, you know, I, I really need to hold this in check in my life and, or I need to do this positive thing or refrain from this sin as, as though, as though that's not valuable. Right. You know, it it didn't give me a buzz, so I I guess I just you know, boy, my my Bible time was really crummy today because I yeah, that's I didn't, that, that's where I didn't I'll get go. a tingle. You know,
0: <laughs> that's where I'll go is is well, Lord, what am I doing wrong? Is there and then like because I'm a neutral, yeah why didn't like, I get sacked, You know, yeah. yeah,
2: and 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 the reality is is that this the the more you put in the tank, there's more. It just translates into more that the Spirit of God will bring to your mind later on in certain situations. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, you have to be equipped, you know, think of it as, as equipping yourself, you know, for, for God to be able to do something or use you in some way down the road and trusting that God will do that. Yeah. You know, God's fully aware of where you are, where he's put you and, and the people around you. And, and, you know, to make yourself a, a an available tool, an available, you know, help, you know, at, at any given point. And then as, you know, asking God to, to make you alert to those kinds of things and then acting, you know, when you see those those uh, those opportunities developing in front of you, you know, just trusting God that God's in the moment. I'm here for this reason. I'm going to I'm going to do this thing that, you know, I, this this person really needs me to do or whatever. And and God believing that God will actually use that. Hmm. You know, we, we we just we don't sort of live consciously that way um because we're either looking for a a tingle or you know we succumb to fear in some cases or we're not even thinking about it at all it's just not on the radar
0: yeah well i want to um man i could talk to you for a very long time uh i want to i want to try to get in some uh talk on the Nephilim so we'll we'll take a hard left on that one for the rest of the uh rest
2: of the interview <laughs> it's a real hard <laughs> left.
0: it is well I, I have I had this list that I wanted to get to so I'm trying to man
2: you got some okay good, you got good I'll, stuff I'll I'll just try to shut up here so.
0: no, no you no it's it's good stuff um so this is this this comes from Brian and he kind okay. of uh because I was asking him I am one like I've already revealed and you know uh my bias is heavily toward fantasy and I, I, I want this stuff to be literal truth. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where I'm coming from, but it also just happens I, I believe it. So I was asking him about the literalness did angels actually come down, mate, create giants, uh that and he told me about he said, just ask this question, even though, even if you don't know what it is, which I don't. So, what is the relation between the sons of God to the ancient Apkalu?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Apkalu? Apkalu, yeah. Apkalu. Yeah. Well, you know, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and really, if we're going to be accurate here, 1 through 5, um, 1 through 4 is the sons of God, the Nephilim stuff, and then verse 5 is draws the. Uh, or makes the statement that every thought of every person's heart was only evil continually. And you say, well, how in the world do we get verse five from the first four verses here? It looks like the first four verses are just kind of stuck on the front, you know? Yeah. Um, like there's no relationship, but there's actually a, a really important relationship, but you can only really sort of discern that if you read those verses in light of their original Mesopotamian context, and that's what's missing. That, that, that's what the, the biblical writer would have sort of assumed. This happens a lot in the Bible because, hey, people, you know, thousands of years ago were writing to their audience. They weren't writing to us. Now, Now they were writing in some sense for us because we have the benefit of what they did write. Uh, but they're not writing to us. You know, So there, there's a lot of inside baseball kind of stuff going on. In the Bible, and this is this is yet another example where the writer sort of assumes that his readers know the backstory to Genesis six one through five, and and we just don't, you know. This is why it's one of the reasons why, you know, we get goofy interpretations like, oh, these are the Sethites, these are the sons of Seth, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just too bad Peter and Jude didn't get the memo, you know, because they're, right. <laughs> they're referring to angels, plural, that sinned. And there is no other candidate for a plural angelic rebellion in the Old Testament other than this passage. You know, so what, the, the short version here is that the Opkalu story from ancient Mesopotamia has all of the elements of Genesis 6, 1 through 5 in it. That material uh, is, as you might imagine, is related to Babylonian flood stories, which are, are much more well-known than the Opkalo story. But the Opkalo story is actually a precursor or part of, of the flood story. It's just that you don't hear about it. Um, in, in Unseen Realm, I, I spent a little bit of time on this. I spent two whole chapters in reversing Hermon on, on, on this material. But in 2000, I think it was 10... Uh, a Mesopotamian specialist, Ana, Amar Anus, collected all the information from the Mesopotamian tablets, specifically he, he, with an eye toward finding equivalents, you know, to Genesis six one through five, and wrote a really wonderful article on the Opkalu, and it's called "On the Origin of the Watchers," you know, where where this whole where all this stuff is, you know, comes from and where what it's linked to in Mesopotamia and the Apkalu were divine beings before the flood they're always spoken of as being you know 100% divine beings after the flood though they are they are hybrids they are quote Apkalu, you know that that were you know from i'm trying to remember the exact phrase um let's see they're da they Trying to capture the exact phrase in my mind. I'm not going to hit the exact phrase, but essentially they are they are from men, okay, after the flood. They they are you know they are the result of some sort of cohabitation. And the Apkalu are also described as giants after the flood, but not before. Gilgamesh is an Opkalu. He's called Lord of the Opkalu in one-cylinder seal. Um, so before the flood, they're divine. After the flood, it's divine human, you know, sort of mixture with giants. And they are also, the Apkala are also the ones that were credited by the Babylonians with teaching, you know, humans advanced knowledge and and really being the, what scholars call culture heroes, the ones, the the divine emissaries that uh, were responsible for really teaching humans how to do the things that led to human civilization. How to farm, how to build, medicine, astrology, astronomy, you know, all sorts of stuff. So if you're a Babylonian or Mesopotamian, you, this is a wonderful thing. The Apkalu are, are heroes to you because they you know, were, were underling deities. And when the higher-ups decide to wipe out humanity with a flood, well, they decided to do something about it. They're like, hey, you know, we put a lot of time into, into civilizing these people, and now, you know, Marduk and his and his, his buddies just want to wipe them out. So what do we do about that? Well, apparently, again, they, you know, it's just fragmentary stuff, but something was done where after the flood, the Apkallu survive as as partly human. And their divine knowledge survives with them. And so humanity rises from the ashes and becomes the greatness that is Babylon. That, that's essentially the story. So they're heroes. Uh, people, you know, would would, would bury would make little figurines of them and bury them under, under buildings to ward off bad spirits. Because, you know, again, they viewed them as good guys. Huh. And those figurines of the Apkallu are called Matsare in Akkadian, which means watchers. Yeah, you know, it's not a coincidence. So, uh. you, know, so you, you, have, you have every element of, of this story in Mesopotamian literature. And it, it tells you, if you know the backstory, it tells you why Genesis 6, 1 through 4 is there. It's there because the biblical writer is saying, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> These are not heroes. This is not a good thing that oh, was okay. done. This is a transgression of heaven and earth, and their offspring. Oh, not so coincidentally, happened to be, you know, happened to lead to the giant clans that tried to exterminate us, you know, in the conquest. This, these were the ones that that we had to take care of. It was us or them. These are bad guys. And 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 if you've read through the Old Testament, you know that almost everything bad that happens gets traced to Babylon somehow. Okay, if you yeah, go, if you so think of makes... the book, go ahead.
0: So, okay, so because I was worried that it was going to, okay, well, this just seems like it was just copied then, but no. actually no, they, it, it, it verifies it because it would be the Babylonians would have been deceived. Genesis
2: 6 1 through 5 is the Israelite corrective, it's the Israelite oh, okay. polemic against Babylonian religion at this point. And so, you know, the, the, the biblical material wants to inform its readers that this was not a good thing. Babylon is our enemy. This is why Og of Bashan is connected back to Babylon through not only the word Amorite, which has a a linkage back to Babylon, but also the dimensions of his bed. Right. Okay. They happen to be, to the precise cubit, the same dimensions as Marduk's you know sacred marriage bed where he would copulate with a goddess you know annually it was a, it was a, a, an annual ritual again it's designed to make to make you realize that okay this og this giant dude the king of the amorites he comes from those guys okay that's why numbers 1332 says that the, the anakim are from the nephilim Okay, you have these connections back to the original, oh, you know, this original bad garbage. And, and this, it really gets kind of crazy when you get into the book of Revelation, mystery Babylon. Okay. Why is the number of the beast connected to Babylon? I mean, you know, Babylon just is this orienting metaphor through the prophets, through, you know, parts of the book of Revelation, you know, apocalyptic stuff. Because Babylon becomes a metaphor, not just of, "oh, these are the guys who who took Judah into exile. That's typically what you'll hear in church. But it's it's so much bigger than that. In the Second Temple period, the intertestamental period, people are, are talking about Babylon in all sorts of ways. And essentially, Babylon becomes a metaphor for everything that is hostile to the God of Israel and to his children. Everything that is a that is a a force of chaos against righteousness, against godliness, against the worship of Yahweh and no other gods, all of that garbage has Babylonian roots. So it, it's a big deal in in the Old Testament and especially into the Second Temple period. But see, we don't read any of that stuff. No, is, Peter is and Jude any... did. Is there so any? Here, here's the crazy thing. Now that backstory is preserved in Jewish literature in between the Testaments. Enoch, the book, of, the book of Enoch, the book of Jubilees, the book of the giants at Qumran, you know, among the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah. the, you know, all, there's there's an, a, other, other Dead Sea Scrolls. There's, you know, Josephus gets into this stuff. There's a lot of discussion in the intertestamental period about this backstory and about, you know, this whole Babylonish problem, okay? Giants, you know, where demons come from, all this kind of stuff. But we don't read any of that. But but there was there's a ton of it and it leaks into the New Testament in various ways because New Testament writers did read that stuff. And the, the most obvious example is Second Peter two, where the angels that sinned are sent to Tartarus. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's the place where in the Greek version of the of all this Babylonian stuff where, you know, you have a rebellion, you know, involving giants and, yeah, you know, one got one group of gods rebels against the other. You know, you have a divine rebellion with giants. Hey, have we heard that before? OK, right. you know, it, it it winds up in that story and, and, it, and it gets into the New Testament. Uh, one of the reasons I wrote my book, Reversing Hermon. And Hermon is the place where the Watchers, you know, from from which the Watchers come or where they descend to hatch their plot, you know, the whole Genesis 6 thing. I, I wanted to write a book that collects all of the material where that story, the Enochian material, leaks into the New Testament, where New Testament writers will drop w- phrases and refer you know, to episodes that are part of this story, and and it's not just Peter and Jude, it's in a bunch of other places. It's very clear that they read the material, they knew the backstory, but we just don't. We don't have that floating around in our heads. So my argument is never, hey, read the Book of Enoch because that should be in the canon. I don't think it should. It doesn't matter. You should read the Book of Enoch because the New Testament writers read it. And if you read the intertestamental stuff, you know, drumroll please, okay, you might become a more intelligent reader of your Bible, okay, if you read the stuff that they read, because they're drawing on it when they write to their own audience. They make these assumptions. Book of the Giants at Qumran mentions Gilgamesh by name.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting
2: book. There's all sorts of connections where it it sounds crazy. How can you have an intertestamental bunch of jewish guys in their writings preserving material preserving a story that predates their own time well they they had access to the literature they they they, they preserve it it's there it's knowable. it's just we don't train people what, to go think, read this stuff.
0: do you think that's a tactic like do you think that's by design
2: i i, I try never to attribute uh Anything to malice that I can more capably attribute to ignorance and laziness. Okay. So my vote is laziness in this in this respect. <laughs> um, I, now equally is bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. Take your pick. Neither of them yeah. are very flat. But there is. I I, I will I will say this though. Um, there is in, in Protestantism generally. We'll we'll cast a wide net here there is a resistance to having you read anything that is outside the protestant canon because of this sort of fear that oh then you're going to get attracted to catholicism because they have some of these extra books you know right yeah, yeah. no I, you know it's like come on you know, let, let's try to treat each other like adults here <laughs> and 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 again read books <laughs> like Okay, phenomenal, you know, profound statement for the for the hour here. Read Biblical writers <laughs> read books; uh, they really did. Biblical writers read books, and if huh. we read the books they read, we might become well, better
0: readers. When's it coming on Netflix? Then we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll <laughs> problem solved. Right. Well, yeah. And um, another quick question: so, is there any genealogical or physical? remnant like what happened to babylon as i mean i'm just this is i'm asking as a
2: yeah when it when it comes to the to the 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 bloodlines of the nephilim and all that stuff if if you're going again and this is just a a a suggestion if you're going with the biblical text (laughs) okay okay, the, the the story ends in the time of david david wipes out the last vestiges of those bloodlines when it comes to Goliath and his brothers, you know we're, we're told in the conquest. And by the way, you know, the the conquest begins and ends with the Anakim. Again, these giant clans. These are the these are the actual targets of the kherem, you know, of the, of the killing. You know, you there are other verbs that are used in the conquest that the Israelites could go in and drive out, dispossess, you know you know, repossess lands. I mean, they, they don't have to kill everybody. It, it, it's this, this genocide thing is, is just a caricature of what's actually going on here. You know, it, it's not a coincidence. And I, I talk about this in Unseen Realm. If you plot all the places where the verbs of killing, karam, and some of these other ver- verbs are used, if you if you actually note what battles that language occurs with, and then you superimpose the places where the Anakim and the other giant clans were were encountered. Guess what? They overlap. You know what a coincidence. You know this is why Joshua, when when he it comes to the end of sort of you know the end of the of the conquest as far as he's concerned. He says there are no more Anakim in the land. That, that's his definition of victory. But then he adds, except the ones that got away, you know, to the to the to the coast cities of Gaza and Ashdod. You know, these are Philistine cities. Well, guess where we encounter the remnant later? Okay, Goliath is a Gittite. He's from Gath. He's from the Philistine. One of these Philistine cities. And so, the, again, the biblical story, the bloodline ends there. And and. I think that's I personally think that's why the story's there. To show that David completed this mission by getting rid of of this particular enemy. And I'm not I'm not saying that lots of other people didn't die. I mean they did. These people were scattered all over, you know, they were they were in pockets in the in the land, and they were the ones that that must be eliminated because why 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 them? Just because they're tall? Well, that's discrimination. No, it's because they came from, they're they're the product of the Nephilim, the abkalu. It's the Babylon thing again. They were raised up by rival gods. Okay? So, you know, that, that's why they're they 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 got the crosshairs on them.
0: So you could say from there it kind of moved to a spiritual conflict.
2: Well, it it see, that only that only takes care of the second of three rebellions. Okay, you, you've you've got you've got three. You, there's just so much we could talk about. Here. I don't know. Get, okay, uh, if you ask the average Christian, hey, why is the world so messed up? Okay, you know why is just yeah, just everything's just so awful, evil and all. You know, what's the answer you're going to get? Well, so, you know, the, the average Christian's going to say, well, it's the fall. That's yeah. Genesis three. Well, if you if you ask the average Israelite or the average Second Temple Jew the same question, that is not the answer you would get. The answer you would get is, well, there's actually three reasons why the world is just so awful. <laughs> and the fall is the first one. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a problem. Uh, Genesis 6, 1 through 5, that's the second one. And then the third one is what happens at Babel, Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the, when the nations are, are split up, humanity split up and assigned, the, the nations are assigned to the sons of God, lesser gods. And they, they, they be, the, those gods eventually become corrupt. They 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 you know create chaos on in, in you know in their spheres of authority. That's why the Old Testament is Israel against the gods and Yahweh against the gods and all this stuff. It's it's why you go from God is relating to humanity and mass before Babel, but afterwards you've got all these other pantheons. This is why, okay? God punished humanity by divorcing them and splitting them up. And Deuteronomy 32:8, assigning them to other gods. You don't want me to be your god. You don't want to worship me. You don't want to do what I say. Here we are even after the flood. I thought the flood might have taken care of this propensity, but I guess it, it hasn't. I told you to disperse. I repeated the Edenic commands to you. You didn't get the message. Instead, you're building a temple ziggurat because you want to locate the deity. You want to summon me to you. You want, you know That is not the way it works. I will not be tamed. Okay. That is not the way it works. You don't want mm-hmm. me to be your God. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you over to somebody else. Let's try that. You know, you, you, you pick the one you want or whatever, you know, you go where you want. There's going to, I'm going to split you all up. I'm going to assign you to lesser gods and we'll see how that works. Again, this is Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, and, and in Unseen Realm, I track it all the way through Deuteronomy. You get, this is where you get Daniel 10, the Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, you know, these supernatural entities assigned to geography. Cosmic geography is a whole subset of Israelite thinking. Lots of passages in the Old Testament that deal with cosmic geography. Um, in the New Testament, why does Paul, Paul occasionally uses the word demons, but look at his vocabulary. Principalities, principalities Thrust, yeah, dominions, powers. Thorns, okay, what do they all have in common? They are all, all geographical governance terms, okay, that, yeah. that's why, all right? He even hmm. quotes hmm. Deuteronomy 32, 17, in First Corinthians 10, 21, and 22, when he's talking about not having fellowship with demons, okay, he he— it's just all laid out. It's Pentecost is about this, about reclaiming the nations, delegitimizing the rule of the gods, you know, bringing the Gentile nations back to the fold, back into the family. It is everywhere in Scripture, but but we 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 miss it because nobody ever teaches the Tower of Babel using Deuteronomy 32:8-9. It never happens, okay, and and we miss the entire biblical worldview here. So there are actually three reasons why the world is just such a, you know, a, a crap fest. You know, <laughs> just,
3: that's, <laughs>
2: that's why we're in this mess. Well, so, let me... so to fix it, to fix it. Yeah, we have we have this, this set of bloodlines, you know, taking care, at least the prototype for the Messiah fixed one problem. David, at least he got that done. But we actually need a Messiah to fix the other problems, to cure the problem of death. That's Genesis 3. That's, that was the result of that rebellion. We're estranged from God and we're going to die. Okay, there, there's, there's sort of a theological ownership of the human soul from that point on. We must be redeemed. We must be brought back into the family of God because we are sinners now. We are estranged from God and we are going to die. How do we get back to relationship with the one who is the source of life so that we don't die? Well, the Messiah needs to fix that problem, okay? And then the other problem is the nations are estranged. They're under dominion of other gods. They're living under chaos. Their their, their, their spiritual authorities abuse them. Psalm 82 is all about this. This is why God is angry with the Elohim of his council, because they have rebelled against him. He gave them charge over the nations, and they have become corrupt. He looks at them in verse 6 and says, I said, all of you are gods. You're all sons of the Most High, but you are going to die like men. And the psalm ends with the psalmist saying, rise up, O God, and take back the nations, Okay, this is Deuteronomy 32 worldview theology. This is why Jesus goes into Gentile territory and conquers legion. Okay, that's Gentile territory. He goes into places and announces specific things to specific powers that draw on, you know, these, these prior rebellions. He's communicating the idea that I'm not just the Messiah for Israel alone. I am the Messiah of the whole world. I'm not just here to claim Israel, this little piece of dirt, you know, the size of New Jersey for myself. I'm here to get every square inch back. Okay, that that's the mission. Paul, again, the, the, the early church inherits this mission. You know, it's not just we're, we're going to tell our, our our countrymen about the Messiah. You know, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. His mission is to take, you know, the... If we get the gospel to to the whole world, then the Lord will return. Then the end comes, as Revelation says. You know,
0: it's chill-inducing. That's
2: this whole consciousness. You know that Hmm. Hmm. there there's a unity and a coherence to the to the biblical supernatural epic that we miss entirely because we divorce, as you said, we just cut off the supernatural from our thinking. And, you know, thank you. If you do that, then you eviscerate or emasculate or dilute the story that the biblical writers are trying to tell you. This is what they were tasked to tell you. But if you just want to wipe half of it out or the underpinnings, the supernatural underpinnings of the story out, well, you know, what you got left is kind of dry and toasty. <laughs> <laughs> it's well it, but but even worse than that it's sort of divorced from having any overarching meaning from having a meta-narrative meaning you know yeah
0: it fills you, in all the the holes for all the wonky little things in the Bible that you're like what is that about right. and you're like, that, "Oh, that's
2: what I was trying to do it in unseen realm I, I view unseen realm and it has a few simple goals I want the Israelite and the first century Jew living in your head rent-free OK, because that is what context should mean. Co- reading the Bible in context means reading the Bible in light of its own original context, not a context that we give it like evangelicalism or Protestantism or Catholicism or, you know, whatever. Those are all post biblical contexts by definition. Okay, If we have a little grasp on chronology, we can see that Okay, we want the original context. So that was one. And the other one is is like, look, this is the beginning point. Unseen Realm is the beginning point. I'm not coming up with a theory of everything, okay? Two or three books down the road, maybe I'll try that. But Unseen Realm is the beginning point. I'm going to give you. I'm going to build the matrix for you. I'm going to give you the lay of the land so that if you if you really sort of grok the content here, reading the Bible would just be make more sense to you. You would you would be able to see the data points and how they're connected. And all the weird passages are there for a reason. They are part of the meta narrative. They're not just random. If it's weird, it really is important. I mean it, it it tells you something conceptually about how the biblical writers viewed the world, you know, how the supernatural world intersected with our own world. What we were supposed to to learn at any given event or passage about how do we think about God and God's relationship to us and God's relationship to the supernatural rebels and those who are loyal to him. How do, you know, how do we think about that? What is God trying to, to teach us about the interactivity of these two realms? All of those passages have meaning, again, if you take them seriously, and because once you do, you'll be able to see how they connect with each other, You'll be able to start to see the threads that run through the tapestry and and that's really the goal of what I'm of what I'm trying to do you know, the the subtitle says it all to the book recovering the supernatural worldview of the Bible and that suggests the word recovering suggests I think it's been lost mm. I do and, okay and... I do
0: let me let me eke one more in here uh, so. It's understood then, because this has always been my uh, question as well, is what is to stop another angelic rebellion after everything's said and done? Is it just understood that it's it will be done?
2: yeah i don't I don't see I don't see any specific evidence that divine beings again this in the in unseen realm this goes back to the concept of imaging. So you and, and your listeners are either gonna have to recall that or or read that in the book. But imaging, there's a reason why there's plurals in Genesis. Let us create humankind in our image. And then it switches back to singular when God actually creates humanity. So God created them in his image. He created them, you know. So you have plurals and singulars right next to each other in two verses. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Why? Why is that? Well, you have to understand first that, that the idea of the image of God is not, the image of God is not something plopped into you. The image of God is a status. It, is, it, it means representation. And there are fancy reasons, you know, in Hebrew grammar about, you know, and I, I, I actually can explain that in English and I do it in the book, you know, so that it's, it's comprehensible. The image of God, think of it as a verb. We are here to image God. We are his imagers. We are here to represent him. Illustration from English. The word in actually means something. its I don't want to pretend I'm Bill Clinton here, okay? But <laughs> word in is meaningful. It has a semantic range. Uh, if I say put the dishes in the sink, what do I mean? I'm using the word in to denote location. If I say I broke the glass in pieces, mm. I'm not talking about location. Then I'm talking about a result. I'm using the word in to, to get to some result. If I say, I wrote the letter in pencil, now I'm not talking about either of the first two. I'm talking about instrumentality, all right? I'm using the preposition there for a different reason. If I say I work in medicine, I work in accounting, I work in media, what am I saying? I'm saying I work as a doctor, as a nurse, as a PA, as an LPN, as a writer, as a videographer. you know in other words in in those instances denotes function or role that is how we need to understand the image of god back in genesis 1 26 and 27 in hebrew grammar it's called the bet of predication okay you try to wake wake the audience up now okay <laughs> but In other words, I I say that because I don't want people to to get the impression that I'm making it up, okay? There's actually a grammatical, syntactical reason why I'm saying this. This is is the Hebrew text, okay? So we are created as God's representatives. It's plural because the members of the heavenly host are created to be his representatives as well in their realm. We are God's representatives in the terrestrial realm, the earthly realm. That's why he made it. Okay, to put us here right? we're, we're going we're supposed to maintain it we're supposed to be him as though he were here in physical form and all that stuff we are his representatives here they are his representatives there the Im- this imaging idea that we are we we have the same creator and we're created to represent him in our different spheres is why there's plurality language in Genesis 1 there's, it switches back to singular to make clear the point that only God was the, is the creator. They're not our creators. He is. That's why it's singular. But yet the concept links the three of us. Us, the members of the heavenly host, and God are linked in some way. And that some way is imaging. Okay, We image him. He gives us, he shares his attributes with us so that we can image him. That means we have things like intelligence and rationality and free will. Oh there 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 there's the key to the answer to your question. There's no evidence in scripture that post these other rebellions that that members of the supernatural world lost their free will. In theory, yeah. You might have another rebellion. That's possible textually, exegetically and theologically. That's not what you're going to hear in church. No. Okay because the the what because our angelology and our demonology is mediated to us through church tradition i got i got some examples for you book of job several times job chapter 4 job chapter 15 okay you've got passages where god comments about the ones that are the, the members of the heavenly host that are still loyal to him it says he doesn't trust his holy ones The holy ones are not free from error. In other words, they're not him. And he knows it. They're not perfect. They don't have his perfect nature. God knows that just like his human creatures can go astray, his heavenly creatures don't have exactly a perfect track record either. God's fully aware of that. Now we're not told that we will get another big rebellion, but there's no reason to think that it can't happen. So that's my answer to your question. Again, I had to I had to backload it with all that other stuff. But uh, you know, this is it's it's actually a good example of of something that we're taught in church. That if you're a close reader of, in this case, the Book of Job, you're going to run into passages that go, "Well, that doesn't quite fit," with what i was told in church you know if if god doesn't trust them why why i thought they were all perfect after the fall no actually they're not <laughs> okay <laughs> they're, they're actually not in other words that you know there, there's no evidence that all of a sudden that free will thing well you you guys just lost that you forfeit well, that game came over even, you know so just, we're talking
0: post god's return like post New Heaven New Earth.
2: All right, I, I think that circumstance is a little bit different.
0: Okay, that's right. that's what I was kind of about current
2: towards. day. Current okay. day, yeah. I th- I think I think the when everything is sort of all said and done. Okay, on one hand, again, there's nothing in the Book of Revelation or any other apocalyptic text that also says, "Hey, when the Lord comes back and everything winds up the way He wanted it to wind up, that everybody's free will is removed." Okay, it doesn't say that either. So yeah. like like in theory you you have in some sense the same set of conditions. The issue though is when you get sort of to the other side of that you know God has has essentially been shown to be correct in his judgments. You have a long track history now to see what happens when we do go astray. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, yeah. <laughs> I've we seen have, this movie before. I don't think it seen works this out. Movie Four we also have an experience of the benefits of being loyal to the God of Israel, and we have an environment where the previous rebels are toast quite yeah. literally okay yeah. so it, the environment is quite a bit different you know than it than it is now you know the the learning curve is kind of over at that point, whereas we're still in the learning curve now. But but these are the things. If we're going to be honest with the text, here, again, this is fundamentally why I answer these questions. The, those those questions the way I did. If we're going to be honest with the text, we we try not to go beyond the text. We just that's that's what you got. It. I don't have evidence that that this is the case. I, I don't have evidence that that's the case. So we're just gonna we're gonna leave it where it's at. Yeah. And you know that's what we have to do if we want to try to have our theology you know derived from the biblical text it's the best we can do
0: well your holiness mike uh <laughs> <laughs> that was uh man nah, that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i really appreciate you taking the time uh to uh break some of that some of that down for me uh and tell our listeners where they can find your book your website all that good stuff
2: Sure. Yeah, the nerve center is drmsh. That's dr as in doctor, and then my initials msh. drmsh.com. Uh, any of the books you can find on Amazon. There's Unseen Realm. Uh, that's an academic book. It has lots of footnotes. Uh, if you're not used to reading books with lots of footnotes, there's the book called Supernatural, which is a distillation of Unseen Realm. It takes the core ideas and just presents the core ideas to you. It's a much easier read. Uh, if you if you go up to Amazon though and you and you look at the reviews for unseen realm it's it's pushing six hundred and fifty reviews now and ninety six percent are you know like five star. So it's readable. don't don't let the footnote thing scare you. it's readable. Uh, but if if you're not used to that, I recommend supernatural. I have other other books reversing Hermon um, again is is really about how the the watcher story bleeds into the New Testament. Uh, I dare you not to bore me with the Bible. And its follow-up volume, *The Bible Unfiltered*, which is only about a month new. Those are collections of my articles for *Bible Study Magazine*. Which those are articles pitched at uh, the layperson, even even in some cases the new believer. But you still get a lot of this kind of material, a lot of you know the supernatural stuff in those articles as well. So you can find all that at Amazon. And my website is drmsh.com. And if, if you go to the website, you'll notice that I, I have a podcast, the Naked Bible podcast. I also blog about weird stuff that people believe about the ancient world. Um, that, that's sort of my other life. You know, people who like watch watching ancient aliens and think, think that that's like a, a repository of truth. <laughs> uh, no, I spend a lot of time talking and writing and blogging about you know, weird UFO stuff and ancient astronaut stuff and just strange stuff that people believe about the Bible and the I'm ancient sorry, world because Jackson, I want to try to help them think a bit I better about real, those things. Never
3: never to I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. I am for real. Never meant to be don't I cry apologize a trillion times
0: good interview oh
1: yes oh yes
0: (laughs) the best was looking at his phone
1: excellent excellent eh? um
0: so at my job we're gonna dive straight into this so my new job there's a we meet for staffing in the morning and there's uh the bathrooms are literally right next to the where everybody works like the pub, like the bathrooms for everybody or yeah, just the there, staff? there's a guys. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's 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 a staff building. Uh-huh. So there's where the guy staff uses, and then there's the girl staff. But okay. it, they're both of them are right there. Uh-huh. And uh, dude, the first day, like she scores. I had to poop. <laughs> I had to poop, and it's it's the it's the kind of thing like where you could hear someone like <clears throat> like you could hear him cough. Damn. And paper thin walls. Paper thin. Oh, but there's no. no choice. I had no choice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and I, I thought I was being slit. You, you put the turn of the faucet on. Uh, I turned the I turn the fa- uh, well yeah. not the faucet. That's too obvious. But I turned the fan on. Okay. And it doesn't have a lock, so uh-huh. you got to kind of make a makeshift wedge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is my first day, bro. <laughs> and I I took a poop. You know, I thought I got away with it. Yeah. And then uh, two days later. Um, that uh that fellow that we both know that works there mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. was like yo dude you know it was in front of everyone too he was like i'm so I, I, you know because they're they talking about how i'm fitting in there he's like uh. i can't believe that like day one you took a
1: shit, a shit like <laughs> that's like poop game strong yeah. homie
0: he's like he's like it took me weeks to work up the courage <laughs> for that and i was like oh i was like how did you know he's like Well, dude, I went in there after you. I was like, oh, shit. But apparently, like. Busted. Yeah, apparently, everyone had the same issue that it's very awkward to poop there. And not, you know, uh, I poop there every day. <laughs> I, I I'm a once a am you know I'm regular dude. Yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. Once you get sober for a little while, you have like a metabolism and yeah, it works, patterns, and it works properly. It works properly. You can only just poop at the same time every day. Pretty much. Yeah. About about nine forty five. Yeah. That's about. That's and about and one then
0: mm-hmm. and then if it's gonna be two, the next one will be about like six thirty. Yeah. 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 The night poops. I'm, I'm yeah, well, anyway i we should not, I could I could have a whole episode on on poop. this is I just realized this is the episode where I just interviewed a freaking doctor.
1: <laughs> I feel like the majority of oh. our stuff eventually ends in talking about poop or farts at some point. I know at least one more episode i
0: hope I hope he doesn't listen to the rest of it. <laughs> Dr. Heiser, if you're listening, I listen. I you know, what can I say? What uh, <laughs> I, uh, everybody poops, so there we go. It's it's okay. <sighs> Why don't I it's save okay. these for the episodes where like I interview you or something?
1: Right, that would fit a lot better.
0: <sighs> Speak. Oh, what were you saying about Lil Pump? Speaking so, of ironies, so. so. Ironices,
1: <laughs> so. I don't know what got, like, I was messing around on Instagram, and somebody put something about Lil Pump, and I'm just, I'll pull,
0: no, keep, I'll pull him up so people know what he sounds like.
1: Yeah, so Lil Pump is, um, I don't know, if you have half a brain and you listen to him, you you might want to kill yourself after, he's, he's just absolutely awful, um, the halls of a
2: school
1: carrying
3: huge
1: bags of pots. Shoot, hold, shoot, 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 shoot. It's mostly just
3: yeah. it... that. Yeah. That is
2: innocent. That's
1: horrible. It's, he's god awful. Anyway, so he has 7.5 million followers on Instagram, and he is following two people, one of which is Harvard University. <laughs> And the other is some girl named Miranda. Yeah. So, <laughs> I just thought, like, just based on that, he went from, like, a negative 100,000 to, like, a negative 900,000 in my uh, book. Well, and that's why I, I, I think I just realized that
0: th- that's who this guy is making fun of. There's this actor from the UK, uh, and his, his rap name is Lil Windex. Uh, cause he's cleaning up the rap game. Oh, uh, nice, so he's, nice, But, nice, but okay, he just okay. does all these damn chirping sounds. But he, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear this well. But this, this is him reacting <laughs> to comments.
3: So goat right here, Lou Index. Uh, just here to do a little video reacting to some of the comment on my YouTube video. This one's from that Stoner guy. He looks like a hood carrot top mixed with a crackhead. What is wrong with people nowadays? And whoever listened to this guy, you should shoot yourself. Lil Winded, come now, man. He should drinks. go drink some bleach. What the fuck are you talking about? I didn't get any of that. It didn't even make sense. You should go drink some bleach. You should go drink some Windex. Much better. Um, from <laughs> <laughs> some, some. what Let's say Lil Windex is actually Jesus coming back? Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs> yeah, don't tell anybody else though. But Jesus is back. <laughs> okay,
0: next. This one. <laughs> yeah, so y'all, should, y'all should really look him up. Little Windex. It's, I love people. I'm so glad people are finally uh, making fun of it.
1: Yeah, I just I don't understand the appeal. You know, if there's anybody that understands oh, the appeal, please let us know. Yeah,
0: because Lil Pump is white. I think we left that out. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he's, he's white whiter than snow. Hell. But he, and and see, it's affecting the children's minds because right. I deal with all these teenagers who all want face tattoos and like the the big thing. It's like a satanic culture, but like as as a as a uh, it's
1: like normative kind of yeah. Well, yeah. that's
0: like their 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 kitsch or whatever. Like yeah. it's like it's cool. I don't know. Like I I I guarantee they don't believe it. Although right. I did find out some clients are like summoning demons. Huh. I was like, dang. Why are y'all doing that? In like treatment. Yeah. There should be in like rule like number fifteen. No no, no, no summoning, summoning demons. demons, dude. Like yeah. real shit. Like. <laughs> They're probably messing with some stuff, bre- dude. Absolutely,
1: like, man. Them, them dark worlds. Dude, that is nothing to mess with. I know, and they man. think it is. Right. Although... <laughs> I mean, you well, can't listen to Lil Pump. Well, you shouldn't be summoning demons at all. But if you're a type of cat who listens to Lil Pump, you really shouldn't you be really, summoning demons. You, you know? really
0: should leave that to the professionals. <laughs> right. Like Anton LaVey or uh, <laughs> Boris Yeltsin or something. like. Please. Jeez. Um... Yeah, I think that was it.
1: Hmm. 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 Um. Hmm. Send us an email, man. Oh, but if, this time I think Dave Chappelle's new episode oh, is coming yeah, out. Yeah, December thirty first. So, oh, so that would be the yeah. tomorrow. And then this um, episode is brought to you by Dave Chappelle because we, we got it like that. <laughs> December thirty first. <31st. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> We need to expand our fan base to millennials, so we're just going to start making noises yeah. right <laughs> Um Oh, and Black Mirror next season, I think, comes out Oof. 31st. That's scary. That is scary stuff. It's very scary, because it's
0: real. Did you see that China is ranking their citizens just like that episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. It's you think they weird.
1: watched it, and they're like, oh. They were doing that a little bit before. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah in between like deciding how many kids you can have
1: yeah I think it was a little bit after that stopped I think hopefully um (sighs) in that episode
0: alright well send us an email churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com